Hey there, it's Mike Tramp, and you're listening to White Lion Fever, where rock and roll is still alive like it always has been and it always will be. Okay, everybody, we're going to get started now. I had a little bit of an issue with uh, storage. But that's nothing for you to worry about. Uh, welcome to uh, White Line Fever uh, Kick, uh, Live. My name's Steve Mascord, and we are discussing the um, uh, the NRL game uh, tonight. First up, uh, Melbourne twenty four, Sydney Roosters uh, six, and uh, the big news aside from that result, which would shock a lot of people, um, is that um, Luke Keary uh, has gone to uh, hospital with what could be a spleen injury. He played on uh, injured for a, quite a part of uh, the first half. He then received medical attention at half time and couldn't continue. Uh, and he has um, now been taken uh, to to hospital. Uh, there's plenty of hospitals nearby in that part of uh, Sydney. Uh, as my guest would be well aware, because he spent plenty of time in Sydney. Welcome to the show, uh, journalist John Davidson. How are you, John? I'm very well, Steve. How are you? I'm good, I'm good. Did you watch the match? I saw some of it. Uh, I was on the phone for a bit of it, but um, yeah, saw, saw bits and pieces. And um, yeah, very very impressive from Melbourne without Ken Munster and, and uh, Cam Smith. Two cans. Yes, yes. And, and, and um, you know, with these injuries now, and Boyd Corden are likely to be arrested for some time. Um, you know, it really, really puts a dent in um, the Roosters' title defence, doesn't it? I mean, um, you know, there's some other sides looking pretty good at the moment. Obviously, Melbourne, Penrith, Penrith looking pretty good. What, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not ready to to write the Roosters off just yet. I mean, they can probably get Sonny Bill Williams to play back row, five eight uh, hooker wherever he can do it all. But no, no, in all seriousness, I have got some some real injury worries that they had before going into this game and. and Really compound. I think Mitch Orbison looked like um, I didn't see what it was, but he, he looked to be holding, clutching his arm or his, his shoulder or something like that. So yeah, it's, it's going to really um, hurt them. You'd think going into the final because there's obviously no reserve grade, so it's not like you can you can you know pick through uh, young players to, to come in because they haven't been playing, so they're not necessarily match ready. Now, um, the reason uh, we got you on, and yes, there wasn't, I'm not going to pretend there was another person who was going to uh, come on the program earlier, and I did as a, as a, as a sort of person who um, works with me on uh, rugbyleaguehub.com long reads, I did make you a reserve guest, but I'm really glad you're here, uh, because um, <laughs> what's happening at the moment in this country is quite incredible. Um, over the last few days, the last couple of days, uh, we've seen a, a whole... Um, um, the whole club have six players test positive for coronavirus and they are not going to play this weekend, nor are their opponents from last week. Salford has been a bit of a fixture swap, so there are still four matches this weekend. John, what what is a... Can you update the viewers and listeners on the latest on this story? Um, yeah, from what I was told yesterday, obviously... Uh, eight positive tests at, at Hull FC. Salford hadn't had um, hadn't had any uh, positive tests, which was good. But obviously, um, in Super League, everyone's only tested once a week on a Monday, so they're not tested twenty four hours, forty eight hours before a game. Um, 
and I know, you know, speaking to, to people at Salford, that their their players were obviously mingling, you know, in close contact with with Wakefield and, and Wigan players and staff uh, at the same venue after they played Holt. So obviously, there's a we think there'd be a possibility of transmission. Um, so yeah, I guess it's a bit of a waiting game now. Um, hopefully, Salford do remain um, negative. Um, but you would think they would have to isolate for, for some time to ensure that. And then, you know, they, it's going to be, you know, maybe two weeks that they don't play a game. And then at least a week, you would think, for, for training um, because they can't just go straight from not training from two weeks into playing a game. So, yes, it's definitely uh, a massive, massive shock, massive kick in the balls for Super League, which is already obviously dealing with the Toronto issue as well at the same time. Um and yeah, you know, a, a real worry, I guess, for the broadcaster Sky, who puts in a lot of money into the sport. In your view, what does this mean for the Challenge Cup weekend uh, next week? Um, are those games going to have to be postponed as well? I can't remember exactly who who was playing who. Um, you might have the fixtures to hand. I think the whole were obviously supposed to be playing, but yeah, I, I think they will be postponed. I don't see how you could be playing them. Um, you know, obviously, the the they need to try and stop any any potential infection being passed on. Um, and you know, you you can postpone fixtures and replay them. But yeah, it's it's a bit of a wake up call, I think, because as you um, as you know, there's not really been any strict bubble in terms of players and staff enforced. Uh, and I know on social media, um, there's been plenty of talk and and probably evidence of players out in you know restaurants and pubs, etc. Um, you know, some probably have been flouting the general social distancing rules, but I don't think they've got a separate set of rules which prohibits them further than general members of the public. Do you, do those rules now have to be introduced, or is this just an unrealistic, uh, John? Yeah, that's that's a really really tough one. I think maybe they do. Um, you know, I think obviously the in the NRL it's, it's quite strict. Uh, with the rules that people can and do, can't do it outside the bubble, and we've seen fines and sanctions. Um, and speaking to the head of Salford yesterday in Bleed, he was sort of suggesting that yeah, that, that they need to look at fines and sanctions for for players and staff who do break the rules. Um, I'm not suggesting anyone has it at whole, but um, obviously the I know I've seen on social media before last weekend there was people during the height of lockdown out you know, training with people from other households and then putting it all over Instagram, which is obviously, A, not not good, and B, not very smart to be sharing it with the wider world. So um, I think it's definitely something that the Super League will be looking at. I think they're meeting today um, about that um, because they need to get the season finished. They need to honour their Sky deal because, um, as I understand it, there's no sort of clause that, that, that says, you know, they'll continue to get keep getting paid, you know, even though there is a global pan- pandemic going on, there's no force force majeure clause, as they, they put it. Yeah, so, so you know, um, do, do, you, do, you, do you think that they will try to introduce a, a sort of strict NRL-style bubble or will they just basically say you've got to abide by the country's rules or, or you, you shouldn't go out unless you've got to? Or, you know, what do you, what do you think the most likely scenario is? I don't think they'll in- introduce a, an NRL-style bubble because I don't think they'll be able to enforce it. Um, they might not be able to get all the clubs on board, but I think they'll probably be stressing, or the clubs will be stressing, you know, that they need to 
that players and stuff need to be more vigilant than they have been. I mean, the, the whole sort of funny, well, it's not funny, but unusual, I think, thing about it is, um, you know, we've seen in New Zealand and in Australia probably a lot stricter measures, measures when it comes to coronavirus while they've had so few cases and so few deaths. While in the UK, which is was or perhaps still is the worst in Europe in terms of deaths and cases. But the measures here are, are almost non-existent. So it's a real parallel between um, how people, I guess, serious people are taking it and, and whether they, obviously, the, the, you know, the inferences that they should be taking it a lot more seriously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what, what do you think this period's done to the game? You know, do you think there's any danger that Sky, you know, won't pay and that, that it could send the game broke? And also, and we'll move on to Toronto in a minute, but also the um, £16 million uh, loan that the RFL secured from the government. You know, what's that being, you know, spent on? Um, you know, and, and can, I guess, can Super League come back from this? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to scaremonger, but it's definitely um, very bad, and you know, could could derail the rest of the season. And and obviously, the Super League clubs have, uh, are going to have to pay a rebate already for games that they've not played to Sky for next year. So you know, if, if we lose more games, then then yeah, um, it's it's a massive issue. And and if you're Sky, I think you know, with Toronto pulling out, left already a hole in their broadcasting schedule. And then more games, um, and particularly because the ratings, I believe, the first couple weeks have been really good, better than usual. Um, you'd have to be very pissed off if you're Sky, um, and you know, with the, the, the new with the deal up at the end of the next year and negotiating for a new one, you you would be within your rights to kind of go, what are you what are you guys doing at Super League at the RFL? You know, you need to get your house in order. Um, in terms of what was your other point? Oh, the government loan. There's not really been a lot of transparency. Obviously, clubs, you know, I know clubs in the championship and, and League One have applied, uh, and I think in Super League as well. Um, whether they've, you know, well, how much they've received has not been, you know, there's not been a lot of detail about that. But one thing I would say just on the testing, uh, as I said, Super League clubs are only testing once a week. You know, there's talk about at least doing a pre game test twice a week. But the clubs are putting that bill themselves. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, that 16 mil loan, you would think some money could be spent on on testing, you know, or at least maybe, you know, paying for one test a week for for those clubs and players, because you think that would I, I I would think that would be a smart use of, of that money. Yeah, it certainly speaks to the entire structure of the sport in this country and how cash strapped it is that, you know, the Super League clubs are um, you know, doing what they can to satisfy government regulations um, without spending while spending a minimum amount of money. And the lower division clubs are were better off not playing. Their businesses actually run better when they're not actually playing matches. Um, so I don't know. You talk about sort of a, a catalyst for change. You know, you never know whether um, this could be a catalyst for change in the British game. Um, John, um, you've been obviously, uh, well, not obviously, people who are watching may not be aware, but um, been covering the Toronto situation for longer than anybody else. Um, who is this, uh, you know, who, who are the, who's this, is it one or two remaining consortia who are still interested in buying the licence? Who are they? I've, to be honest, Steve, I don't, I don't know. You probably know more than me. Um, I know, obviously, the, the Newcastle group um, has pulled out and the New York group has pulled out. There, there's been other people involved who I think 
have or who have made offers who have who have been knocked back or have been left idle, so they've pulled out. Um, publicly, I think the club said there was four bids last week. So if you, you know, four minus two of Newcastle, New York will be two left. Um, you know, I've talked about, I've heard whispers of a Toronto-based bid, um, and I think John Wilkins said some things on BBC, but it does seem to be very sort of possible, you know, or it's all sort of in the air. I don't, there doesn't seem to be anything concrete that I've heard, which doesn't mean that there, that there isn't. I think the issue for me um, would be why would you buy a business that's going to lose millions of dollars every year unless you are going to get a cut of the sky money? I don't, I don't see how anyone could think that was a sound business move. That's just me. And the indication is that they're not going to get a share of the sky money. So it would be a very odd business decision, but that's not to say that it, you know someone wouldn't come in and, and buy them. And, and that's obviously at the moment the best scenario and hopefully that, that does happen and, and all the staff and players, et cetera, get, get paid what they owe because it's a bit of a uh, a nightmare scenario at the moment, you know, another sort of uh, PR disaster. If the club is dead, what does that mean for Ottawa? Does that damage their, um, uh, you know, uh, likelihood of them being in League One next year? Yeah, that's the $64 million question at the moment. I mean, I've been talking to Eric Perez uh, yesterday. I mean, obviously, they're, they're sort of full steam ahead with their, with their signings um, and what they're doing. But, yeah, you'd have to, you have to think now that the appetite for expansion from the other clubs, which was probably healthy maybe 12 months ago or more, would obviously be a lot lower. They'd be warier. Um, and the other issue is is the coronavirus. Um, you know, they're, they're supposed to be playing games in Canada next year. Now, I don't know. I haven't seen what the, the case or the death limit is in Canada, but you would think, hypothetically, there'd be some League One clubs now who would be like, well, you know, we don't want to expose our players and staff to, to further risk by travelling to Canada next year. So do they have to play then? Ottawa do they have to play all their games in, in England? Um you know, how much would that cost them financially? Yeah, I think there's a lot of doubts now that have been raised, not only by by COVID, but also what's happened in, in Toronto. Um, and from what I understand with New York, they won't be playing any games next year because uh, obviously the situation in New York is pretty bad uh, in, the, in the US with, with COVID and they won't be playing any games themselves. They may, or I think they're still hoping to host NRL teams, but playing against each other. But at this stage, you'd have to think that's pretty unlikely, anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, how, how how much information? Just as someone who's on the um, the beat, uh, covering um, Super League and, and and the lower divisions, how hard is it to get information out of clubs? And you know, are there press releases every day? Um, is there someone? You know, how accessible are the CEOs? Is there someone you can ring for a comment each day? What's it? Uh, can you paint a picture for the viewers and listeners as to what it's like to cover uh, the British game? Um, <laughs> it's a good question. It's 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 very hard and frustrating at times because some clubs are, are really helpful. Um, some CEOs, officials are, are quite good, and and others, you know, you you can't lock down or won't respond or won't you know really engage with the media at all. So you've got a real mishmash, um, you know, of, of, of different styles and approaches. 
And obviously with the RFL and Super League, they're probably not the most engaged with the media at times or compared to some other organisations. Um, so, yeah, it can be really quite difficult at times to try and get a, a full picture from everywhere. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, let's talk a little bit about the venture we've got at Patreon with Rugby League uh, Hub.com Long Reads. Um, why, why do you think people are signing up for that? The, the numbers continue to climb. Um, there's a bit of a churn at the end of the month when people forget they've committed to pay their five bucks and it comes off their card or their PayPal and they cancel, but they're usually replaced by one or two other people. What is it, what, what is it about sort of that sort of service that you think attracts people? Um, yeah, we could probably do a show on, on journalism and the industry and what's happened to it, but I, I, I think um, there's obviously a lot of a lot of change out there in, in in journalism in general, but in sports journalism, and we've lost a lot of publications, magazines. Um, so I guess this tries to fill a bit of that void. Um, and I think there's a bit of a been a bit of a race to the bottom um, with with some sort of media outlets and you know the the journalism, the the churn of stories, the regurgitation. And I guess what we're trying to do is offer something a little bit more in-depth, a little bit more thoughtful. Um, uh, yeah, that, that's not necessarily out there on the market, I guess. So we're trying to fill a bit of a gap. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, with people like yourself and Ross Eppenstall and, and Maria, um, you know, people who've been working in the industry for a long time who are, who are respected and credible. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's just trying to give uh, a platform to to good writers to to display their craft and obviously there's not a lot of money in journalism in terms of paying journalists or writers anymore so it's great to have people support us because um, obviously the more subscribers we get the more we can more time and effort we can spend on you know covering the big stories and, and you know trying to not only in-depth investigations but also you know opinion and, and features and, and stuff that other people aren't getting out there because I think particularly in, in the UK market, perhaps I suppose, um, compared with the Australian market, there is a real dearth now, um, you know, when you've got writers like um, Dave Hadfield and et cetera, probably haven't been replaced from the, from the pool of, of journalists that once was, you know, previously in England. Yeah, yeah. And, and mate, um, I was going to ask you one other thing about the, the mainstream press in, in this country that you work for, you work for the I, can you tell us who you work for? And, and how, how the desks, you know, um, respond to rugby league stories and rugby league story ideas and, and whether that you've noticed any change in that since you've been working for those outlets. Um, yeah, I mean, I write for anyone who pays me, Steve, so you can call me a prostitute for words. <laughs> um, yeah, so, yeah, <laughs> as a freelancer, I've got to, you've got to pay the bill. So, yeah, um, I started doing some stuff for the eye. Um, it's just all on a freelance basis, but around the 2017 World Cup. Um, so I guess that was travelling to Australia and New Zealand to cover cover England, but, you know, cover the tournament. There wasn't many um, journalists coming over from the UK um, to, to actually cover the England team in the flesh. So that was sort of a, you know, to, to offer... So again, I did, did that for The Guardian as well. I've been writing, you know, for different sports for The Guardian in Australia and occasionally in the UK for 
seven, eight years. Um, and yeah, just managed to build a relationship from there. And the eye is a little bit different. Um, in it, it kind of, it's not necessarily always hard news, but they like a bit more analysis, a bit more opinion, you know, a bit more feature stuff. Um, yeah, there's not a lot of mainstream uh, media coverage of, of rugby league in England, you know, apart from probably the, the Daily Mirror um, every day and, you know, BBC, uh, you know, what, what it does on radio and online and, and obviously Sky. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's good, I think, to, to try and um, get some stuff in nationals, which lately, obviously, there's been a lot of news, not necessarily all of it good, but there has been a lot of news and a lot of coverage. Um, but, yeah, it goes back to something that I'm going to write um, soon, which is, and I think you've, you've explored this in a piece on, on Long Reads on Patreon recently about um, a lot of people in England cry about they want mainstream coverage, they want more coverage, they want to, you know, to be on a spectacle like football. But then when a story comes along and they get a lot of scrutiny and or coverage and or criticism, they, they moan about it. So it's kind of, you know, there's an immaturity there free in, in being trying to be treated like a big sport. There's no such thing as a free lunch. Yeah. Well, if you want to be guaranteed, if you want to be guaranteed positive coverage, take out an ad, you know. Um, otherwise, you submit yourself to scrutiny in order to get free publicity. And publicity is not always good. That's the price of getting the spot in the paper. You know, that's the price. Well, that's it. You've got to take the... The good with the bad. I use a quick example. Uh, I think it was last year at the season launch, or the year before, anyway. Um, Castleford had had a, uh, I think it was Lanzarote, their preseason trip, and a few players had gotten a fight with each other. And this was on the back page of the Daily Star, which is um, you know one of the smaller national papers. But you know it was, it was on the back page, which you don't get rugby league on the back page, unlike you do in you know the, the Daily Telegraph in Sydney or the Courier Mail. Um, and Brian Carney made a joke, you know, question and a joke about it to, Dar- to Daryl Powell at the, the season launch. And Daryl Powell almost, uh, you know, jumped off his cheat and, uh, chair and uh, gave, gave him an uppercut. And obviously there was a lot of complaining about the fact that this story had made the back page. But that's that's what you get. You know what I mean? That this is you, the amount of bad stories and negative stories of football in England in the Premier League gets, um, you know, is is insane. So. Uh, I think a lot of people in the English game, whether they be fans, players, coaches, administrators, don't understand what goes with, you know, having a big profile and what doesn't. And there's a lot of things that go on. And I'm talking misbehaviour, corruption, uh, just general dodginess that gets swept under the carpet or ignored because not enough people care about rugby league. While in the NRL, we see it, you know, on a daily basis exposed on on uh, Channel Nine, on on Fox, on you know in newspapers, on radio, etc. Ad nauseum. Things only improve when you know in the light of day. You know, in the in the darkness, all the dodgy stuff uh, you know goes. It continues. It's allowed to continue. Anyway, uh, before we go, John, is there any uh, is there anything you'd like to plug? I know we've I've already helped you with one of those things, but anything you'd like to plug? You've got your own podcast. Uh, yeah, you can you can uh, follow uh, by the balls. Uh, I think we should have a new episode coming up soon. Um, Alan Kilshaw, the former Rochdale Hornets coach, former uh, Mackay Cutters uh, assistant coach. I think he's going to be on. 
talking about lots of stuff that's happening in, in rugby league at the moment. And um, six to go, another podcast with Paul Bennett, the, the editor of League Weekly magazine, which uh, newspaper, which is obviously on hiatus. Um, yeah, it sort of analyzes the, the Super League games every round and, and touches on the NRL as well. And yeah, obviously, rugbyleaguehub.com, long read, sign up, uh, one pound a week or $2 Australian a week. Um, yeah, I think you'll enjoy what we have to offer. And uh, if and to support this podcast, it's patreon.com forward slash white line fever. Thanks for your time, John. You're a great reserve. You're in you. No. Sonny Bill's got a bit to beat next week if he had it come to the